Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. You can support the show and get an entire year's worth of bonus episodes over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1. We have actually gained a few new patrons in recent months. Yay! And we want to give a shout out to... Lisa and Penny the cat, especially the cat, because I'm excited about some cats. <laughs> Jennifer, Maria, Megan, Corinne, and Maijan. Nice. So thank you for joining our patrons. We love you. You can also support the show for free uh, for the rest of you by leaving us a positive review and telling a friend about us. Now on to today's case. Before we do today's case, I should say, if we do sound a little more echoey than normal, we are in an Airbnb. Because our floors got flooded. It's a long story. I think we talked about it on a prior podcast. But anyway, they're replacing the floors. They got flooded. And so we had to be out. So we just wanted to warn you in case you're like, why is this a little bit not as good? Hopefully it's just as good. Hopefully so. But if not, it's because we're an Airbnb. Right. Today, we are going to Portage, Michigan in June 2015. Nice. I decided to do a Michigan case because I was just there. That's right. Doing some work training. And also... In our superheroes case, we had two disgraced superheroes that were both from Michigan. Right. And I was like, what is happening in Michigan? That's right. So I thought, let's talk some Michigan crime. Absolutely. Let's do it. So here we go. Portage is in the southwestern part of Michigan in Kalamazoo County, not too terribly far from Grand Rapids. What? Yes, that's where my, one of the companies I work for, American Immersion Theater, is headquartered in Grand Rapids, so woot. Woot woot. But also they are kind of close to Lansing, which I've not been to. So maybe Lansing is great. Maybe they're not. We don't know. Absolutely. But Grand Rapids is pretty cool. It is home to a little over 45,000 residents. This is Portage, specifically. And a Pfizer manufacturing facility. And I just wanted to give a personal shout out, since I have a Pfizer vaccine, that particular facility made a lot of them. Nice. So thank you, Portage. For keeping us safe. Yes. I did not have it as bad the third time because of my booster. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Just getting a little bit jaded over here because I keep getting uh, COVID. Well, I mean, after you've had it like four or five or 12 times. I've only had it the four. I, I know. I, Are you I, trying I, to make me feel better? Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to do. I, I was I was attempting that. I may not have succeeded, but I was trying. There's still some people who have had it zero times, so. Yeah, there's probably a few. Yeah. So I'm jealous of all of you that have had it zero times. <laughs> anyway, so shout out to them for that. Portage is pretty much your standard mid-American city with shopping centers, parks, and family-friendly activities. I tried to find something really portage if that makes sense, that like just screamed, this is our personality. But it, it really seemed kind of like, I don't want to say average, but that's kind of what was happening there, but not in a bad way. Yeah, of course. So average, but not in a bad way. And there are trees. 
Back in 2015, 25-year-old Rachel Drafta was living a pretty great life in Portage. She lived in the 2900 block of French Bay Drive with her parents, Terry and Bob. She had been born in Korea, but she joined her close-knit family as an infant and had grown up with them here in the United States. According to her family, Rachel loved seeing other people smile, and she enjoyed spending time with her family, who were very close. Her friends and family also say that she was a warm, generous, and funny person. That's awesome. I know. She sounds like a really good person to be around. Yeah. She also loved the Detroit Tigers. And she liked them so much that everyone knew that they were her team. And also, one of her dreams was to one day work for the Detroit Tigers. That's cool. Yeah. That was one of her long-term career goals. And she was in marketing. So this was a doable goal. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure they have a big marketing department. Yeah. And the Detroit Tigers, that is... Baseball. Baseball. Okay. That's what I thought. Because we love baseball. I love the Astros. Yeah. And was it the Rangers that got their really good home run hitting guy? Okay. Maybe I'll cut out this part. I don't don't, don't know which one you're talking about. Okay. This is me forgetting all the baseball players' names. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, mean, I'm sure you're right. I just don't know the name of the person. Today on Baseball Facts. (laughs) (laughs) We have forgotten all of the facts. Aaron and Danielle forget baseball facts. I remember that the Tigers were involved. And also, I believe... The Rangers. This does not help anybody. But I, I just remember they had that one guy that was really good at hitting home runs, and then he came to Texas, and he was really bad at it. Yeah. But I think it's because it's really hot over here, and I, you just play more hot games yep. than if you're in Michigan is delightful. That's right. I'm sure it's horribly cold in the wintertime, but summertime Michigan is amazing. That's right. It is so hot here, everyone. I know a lot of people have a heat wave. But when I was in Michigan, it was like 80 degrees, and people were somehow complaining about that. And it was the best day. Yeah, Every right. single day I was there was the best weather day. I was so annoying. I was walking out like, oh, my God. I'm having some kind of weather orgasm, like, every moment that I'm outside because it was so nice. Yeah. Anyway, so she wanted to work for the Detroit Tigers, and after graduating from Michigan State University, Rachel took a job working as a marketing coordinator at Cal Blue, which is located in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Cal Blue is a graphics, printing, and communications company that services other businesses, and they also do marketing. And so she was a marketing coordinator of a marketing company, basically. I mean, they're kind of also referred to as like a graphics company, but it just made me think of Parks and Recreation when Ben goes to work for the accounting firm, and he's the accountant. For the accounting firm? Yes. Yeah. I could not stop thinking about that, even though that's not technically what was happening, but still kind of what was happening here. That's hilarious. Yeah. While working at Cal Blue, Rachel met a man who caught her eye. He was quite a bit older than her, but she couldn't get him off her mind. And this man was Brent Kick. Brent Kick was about 20 years older than Rachel, and he was the VP of Cal Blue. He swept her off her feet, and they began spending lots of time together. And I kind of feel really bad because whenever I read that he was the VP, I was like, are you supposed to not date your employees? But I'm not trying to judge you, Brent, but I think that's part of the rules. Generally, that is one of the rules at companies. Yeah, so he's like the VP, and he's dating a 25-year-old that works for him. So I don't know. Yeah, some questions are being raised there. Yeah, I kind of feel bad because I try not to be this podcast that, like, 
criticizes people for stuff like this. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I have a feeling that this story is going to go south. But like, even if it didn't, I'd be like, HR's on the other line. <laughs> we need to call HR. Yeah, they're like, look, we're listening to this podcast, and we have some real serious questions, y'all. Be like, yeah, report to HR immediately. <laughs> well, despite this, they would go on romantic dates and they would sleep over at each other's places. And things were going really well. They were having a really good time and enjoying each other's company. And Brent seemed like a great guy. But he did have a past that followed him into this relationship. Brent had recently ended a rocky relationship that would soon come back to haunt them. His ex, Teresa, wasn't ready to let him go, even though she never really had him in the first place. Back in 2007... And if you recall, I told you that our case today is actually occurring in 2015. So this would have been eight years prior. Brent kicked up a relationship when he ran into Teresa at their high school reunion. Now, I got a little confused because I read a lot of sources that said their high school reunion or their high school class was the class of 89, but they were at a reunion in 2007. And I, I do not understand this. That's a weird timeline, yeah. Yeah, it is a weird timeline. So, for some reason, this is the timeline, though. So, they met up at this reunion, and they started dating again. And she, at that time, was hoping to fall in love. Because she had recently gone through a divorce. And she was out on the prowl. Because now she was a single mom. She had two kids at home. And she just wanted to fall in love again. And Brent seemed like a really great dude. And this seemed like a really good sign to her that they should be together. The pair started dating, and Teresa fantasized about a whole life together. You know, they'd move in together, they'd form the perfect family, everything would be romantic, and Brent would take care of her, and it would be super perfect. But, unfortunately, Brent did not share her dreams of the future. He viewed their relationship as something casual and had no plans to settle down with Teresa. And there seemed to be kind of a miscommunication between them because she continued to hope over the years that they were seeing each other that they would somehow get more serious and that he would settle down with her. Whereas he seems to have never had that plan. Right, that just wasn't what he was wanting. Yeah, and we know for sure because, like, she's going to get a little bit more forceful with her plans here. And he... Doesn't matter what she does, he's not going to back down and, like, make this serious. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, for Teresa, her life was not going as planned. Not only was she, you know, forced to continue being a single mother because now her guy that she fell in love with won't really make a serious relationship with her. She also had rheumatoid arthritis, and it was so bad that it had actually become debilitating. Oh, no. So she had to go on to disability payments in order to just afford to live. Because she couldn't, she couldn't work because of her arthritis. Yeah, that can really be very bad, yeah. So by that point, she was actually living off of disability payments and child support for her two kids. Aside from her two daughters, Brent was one of Teresa's few sources of happiness. After they'd been dating for a while, something happened that made Teresa think that she would finally get her happy ending. Because one date night, Teresa made an astounding announcement. Can you guess what it is? She's pregnant. She's pregnant. She's, I did not tell him to say that. She is <laughs> pregnant. She told Brent she was pregnant, and she was pretty jazzed up about this, despite the fact that she was you know, kind of limited in what all she could do at this time because of her debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. 
she was really jazzed up about having this baby with Brent. And she thought this is the perfect way for us to make our relationship more official because now I'm having his baby. He'll have to move in with me. We'll be together. We'll be a family. Everything's going to be perfect. But despite them having this baby and having been together for a while, Brent was like, nah. Yeah, he wasn't getting trapped by that. No, he was not being trapped by this baby at all. And I'm not trying to say this was a trap baby, but I feel like we all think it's a trap baby. She already had two kids that she, like, loved and were, like, fulfilling to her. And she has a severe limitation that is preventing her from living the life that she probably wants to live. Yeah. In terms of her her disability. So, I'm not really sure that the pregnancy would have made sense other than she just wanted to be with him. Yeah, legit. Yeah, but he was not having any of this. He was like, no, we'll still keep dating and I'll help pay for the baby and I'll come see it. But, like... I'm not going to marry you. I'm not going to move in with you. You can, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> like you and the baby can live here and I'll live here. <laughs> and this was kind of a crappy situation for her because now she has almost the entire, you know, raising of this child on her own and he's kind of popping in and out. So after nine months of pregnancy, she delivered a baby girl and found that Brent really was serious about this not being, not being serious essentially. He's serious that they're not going to be serious. (laughs) And she was largely responsible for taking care of the daughter. And Brent would just kind of visit and give her money. This was very unfortunate. It was very hard for her to be a mom to three kids. She was a single mom now still. And having to take care of all these kiddos. And again, she had all this pain from the arthritis. So this isn't an easy job. Yeah. Unfortunately, she would find some things being taken off her plate but in the worst possible way that you could possibly imagine oh no i know i'm sorry for bumming everybody out but about three weeks after she had the baby it passed away oh no yeah and so she lost this baby but but when the medical examiner conducted an autopsy on the baby they found something really suspicious because the baby actually had a fractured skull oh yeah and Teresa was asked about this, and she denied hurting her daughter. And the police just kind of let it go. Like, nobody ever followed up on it. No charges were filed. It was just kind of noted that the baby had a fractured skull, and it passed away unexpectedly. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings From haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. That's weird. Like, usually when there's cases like that, like, I mean, you see those in murder cases and shows all the time, you know? Yeah, it is weird. And it's unclear, like, what what reason they would have had. If there, maybe there's a reason why they didn't investigate, but we don't know what that is because it kind of just, like, there's no investigation to look at to understand why they didn't investigate. Yeah, exactly. But maybe they had a reason or maybe the, the doctor said something else, but that is what was found at the time. Interesting. Now, this was incredibly traumatizing for them. Teresa really took the the situation hard. So even though there are people now who have kind of pointed out that there was this irregularity, maybe she did something to it, 
she was still grieving her baby. So well, yeah, we course. don't know what happened and what didn't happen, but we do know that she was very upset about losing her child. And Brent, I'm sure, was too. His reaction has been less publicized, but essentially this did not make him want to get any more serious with her. Like, he still was like, okay. And for a while, it seems like she held out hope that somehow he would be there for her. And she would even say, like, I'm really going through this hard time because I've lost our, you know, I've lost our child. I need you to comfort me. And he was just like, no, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm not going to be that for you. And finally, he just got tired of dealing with it. And so he decided that they were just going to not do things anymore. He wanted to find somebody else that he actually did want to be serious about. As you can imagine, Parisi did not break, did not take this breakup very well. Yeah, but... Despite the fact that Brent had expressed to her on multiple occasions and during this entire breakup that he did not want to really be with her that way she continued to hope for reconciliation and that they would one day be committed to each other yeah i feel like this reminds me of people making fun of the twilight movies which is not at all the same i don't know why this is completely absurd but just the fact that they keep pushing Taylor Lautner, Team Jacob, even though it's, like, obvious that nobody's going to get with him. Yeah. And then it makes me think of, like, the honest the honest movie trailer people when they were like, even though she's told him in every movie and this movie that she will always pick the other guy. They call him <laughs> Shovel Face, but anyway, that was, like, my favorite part of that one was just they keep pretending like this is a love triangle even though she has already said, like, 400 times that she's going to be with this other guy. Yeah. This is what I feel like when I read about Teresa and Brent. She is essentially Team Jacob. Yeah, exactly. And still trying to make this happen. And even though Brent, as Kristen Stewart, has multiple multiple times said, no, it's not happening. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Stop trying to make it happen. Please stop trying to make this happen. Even though I am firmly Team Jacob. Because <laughs> she didn't have to change for him. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there that I'm Team Jacob. Anyway, or also just Team Bella. Like, maybe don't make choices about who you're going to be with for the rest of your life when you're a child. Just throwing that out there, too. Legit. Anyway, I'm not going to keep talking about Twilight. So, so this relationship is over. She's really feeling still hopeful. But that hope was dashed when she learned that Brent has started dating 25-year-old Rachel Drafta, a woman who was almost two decades their junior. At that point, Teresa was 43 years old, and seeing a younger woman with her man sent her into a spiral. And she started stalking Rachel and following the couple on their dates, spying on their fledgling relationship from nearby. She even followed them home and kept track of when they slept over each other's houses, which is insane. That is crazy. To her friends, Teresa would wail about how Rachel was stealing her man, claiming that Rachel was in her home, even though she and Brent never even lived together. (laughs) Right. I know. That part has always been weird to me, but I mean... People have emotions. That's her fantasy house. Yeah, it's her fantasy house. Exactly. In one incident, Rachel actually had to call the police. On October 21st, 2015, Rachel discovered Teresa sitting in her car outside of her home. Oh, dang. And called the police out there. And since Teresa had been stalking her, she was like, this is very suspicious. This lady's been following me around. Yeah, legit. And the cops had to come out there and make her leave. But that's all they did. They were just like, skedaddle, shoo, shoo. They were like, move along, move along. Yeah, but I do think they didn't take it as seriously as they should have just because Teresa was a lady. And they were just like, oh. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah. a lot, apparently. Yep. But 
As you can imagine, she did not stay alone for long because Rachel also spotted her again and she even texted her family member about the fact that in mid-June, Parisa was out there stalking her again. Oh, jeez. I know, I'm building up some suspense over here. <laughs> the situation finally came to a head on Wednesday, June 24th, 2015. That morning, Rachel left for work as usual at around 7.15 a.m. She was in a good mood, which was pretty typical for her. A few minutes after she walked out the front door, her mother, Terry, heard shouting and then gunshots. Oh, no. Terry ran out of the house to find her neighbor, Dennis Conley, standing over a prone form on the driveway. Terry shouted, quote, please don't let it be Rachel. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Unquote. Oh, no. But it was Rachel. Of course. But which I think we all knew it was going to be Rachel. Yeah, but I mean, still, you just... You, it sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. It sucks. It does suck. And Rachel was lying on the driveway unconscious with a single bloody wound. And that wound was to the back of her head, like right behind her ear. Oh, execution style. Mm-hmm. Jesus. The neighbor, Dennis, witnessed the entire incident as he was backing out of his driveway. And can you imagine? Backing out of your driveway to go to work and this stuff happens. That'd be the craziest shit. According to him, he had seen Rachel in an altercation with another woman, and he got really worried when he saw this. So he actually turned off his ignition and got out of his car to intervene. And as he walked toward the women, he said they kind of parted, and at first it looked like the fight might be over. But then he saw the other woman, the one he didn't know, reach into her backpack and pull something out, and then he heard the gunshot. Oh, hi! If you're looking for another spooky and funny podcast to add to your rotation, check out Anything Bones, now part of the Podmoth Network. Hey, Boneheads, I'm Sophie Schwartz. And I'm Caitlin Hart. And we're the hosts of Anything Bones, the podcast where we talk about bones and bone-related topics. Soph, what are bone-related topics? Thank you for asking, Caitlin. This can be anything from mausoleums to murderers, famous skeletons to cadaver dogs. Bone churches, mummies, serial killers. You'll hear about them all. And sometimes we have guests stop by and tell us their favorite bony tales. Check out Anything Bones on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever your little heart desires. We release new episodes every Saturday. Bone Voyage! This was the day that Teresa had chosen to enact a very wicked plan. Because she thought if she could only get rid of Rachel, then she could have Brett back. Yeah, like, what other outcome could there possibly be? Yeah, and later on she would argue that this was some kind of delusion she was under, but this happens way too much in these kind of cases where... The person who's been broken up with thinks that if they just kill the other person, they can just, like, ride back in. Yep. That's not even a thing. No, it's not. Like, literally, like, none of my exes could ever get back with me, which I'm sure they're all happy with. Like, I don't think any of them are like, man, I hope Danielle calls. No. Like, they're fine with it. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't understand how people think that that's, a do, like, a doable thing, you know? But, I mean, it is what it is. She picked that particular date, Wednesday, June 24th, 2015, because it was the fourth anniversary of her baby's death. That day, Teresa drove her Jeep to Rachel's home in Portage, Michigan, where she lived with her parents, and she parked several houses away. 
Then she walked over to Rachel's home and waited for her in the driveway. And since she'd been stalking Rachel, she knew her whole schedule and when she would leave for work. When Rachel walked outside, all happy, Teresa confronted her about her relationship with Brent. Now, based on notes found in Teresa's Jeep, she had planned to kidnap Rachel and then murder her. Yikes. Yeah, so she thought that she could just kind of go up to Rachel, confront her, and then make Rachel go with her. Dude, no way. Yeah, that's not how it works usually, as you can imagine. Yeah. And so Rachel basically was like, I'm not going with you, and starts to defend herself. And when she realized that Rachel wasn't going to go with her and that she was defending herself and that she had completely lost control of the situation, Teresa was like, oh, okay. So in the meantime, Rachel also pulled out her phone and she called Brent. Well, that's... Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish she had called 911, but I don't know that it would have made a difference. Yeah, probably not. But she called Brent and was trying to tell Brent that Teresa was out there. And so at that point... Teresa just kind of panicked, and she decided that she would move to Plan B, and she reached in her backpack and pulled out a twenty-two caliber Ruger handgun. Dang. And Brent was actually still on the phone when Teresa fired her handgun at Rachel. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's so awful. Holy shit. Yeah. And so he heard the gunshot, as well as her mom also heard it and several neighbors. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's really twisted. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Just terrible. Yeah, I know, but, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. And the reason why she was able to shoot her in the back of the head was because Rachel was actually walking away from her. Like, thinking that I'm that just going to walk over. away from the situation, and then she shot her. Yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. After the shooting, Teresa just took her backpack and the gun and just walked away. Started walking down the street back to her car like nothing happened. And fortunately for the situation, Rachel's mother and the neighbors, including Dennis, had heard these gunshots, and Dennis literally watched it happen. So they immediately called the police, and the police got there super fast. They were there so fast that Rachel was still clinging to life. So they rushed her to Bronson Methodist Hospital for treatment. And meanwhile, they started the investigation, and they listened to Dennis's account of what happened, and he was able to point police in the direction that the assailant had just walked. And since officers responded to the scene so quickly, they actually were able to arrest Teresa about a block away from the crime scene. Nice. Yeah, so it was like, this was a really fast response. Yeah, that's super fast. Mm -hmm. Officer Trevor Patterson found her quickly because Dennis had described her. And when he confronted this lady, he saw that she was carrying a backpack. And so he searched the backpack and found gloves, zip ties, trash bags, Mace and twenty-two caliber bullets. A whole murder kit. Yeah, it was a whole murder kit, but it did not have the gun. Just had the bullets. But <laughs> he was not deterred because he found the gun pretty fast. It was actually hidden under this like travel trailer thing that was in the driveway. And she had just kind of put it behind the back wheel. And so he's like, look, look. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Like an Easter egg find. Like, there it is. <laughs> That's literally where you hide eggs. Like, yeah, exactly. Like behind the wheel well. Uh. Yeah. So if somebody ever tries to make you feel bad about doing like adult Easter egg hunts, you might have to find evidence one day. This I, is how you train them. I hope that I personally never have to find oh, evidence. Oh, no. You're really bad at egg hunts. 
That's true. I am actually. I don't mean that in a judgy way. There's video evidence of this. I am actually yes. kind of bad at egg hunts. Aaron and I true. did an egg hunt. I think it was. Was it during COVID? I think it was. It was. It was either 2020 or 21. I don't remember yeah, which one. Yeah, we did. We did, took turns hiding the eggs. And unfortunately, I get really competitive. And so I was forced to work really hard to find my eggs as fast as possible so that I could win. Um, <laughs> this was, I was forced against my will. It was very traumatizing for everyone involved. Look. But to be fair, it, it was a low bar because I took infinity time. Like yeah. I found, like we had like what twelve eggs, and I think I found like nine of them in a reasonable time period. Yeah. And I think maybe I even got to like eleven in like a not totally disgraceful know. period. But like the last one took me forever. The best part about it was that all of the eggs were in like really easy to find locations. And when I was videoing, I was like zooming in on the eggs that he was missing. Yeah. She was doing like an office style zoom in on, on the eggs that I was missing, you know, <laughs> like, like watching the footage back. It really looks like you're watching an episode of the office where like Michael Scott's looking around like, Hey guys, what's going on? And then like Jim and the camera are like panning in. It's like the really obvious thing that's going on. Yeah. It, it, it was like that. That's how I do. But yeah, so maybe you wouldn't be in charge of finding these clues. Yeah, hopefully there'll be a detective that can find the evidence. Yeah, well, me. this officer was not a detective. He was apparently good at egg hunts because he found this gun pretty quickly. And investigators were able to trace the serial number. I mean, don't get me wrong. They are like, this is a gun. But they still have to do their job. So they yeah. traced the serial number and found that it was registered to Teresa. Ah. And she had actually bought the gun in the months before the murder while she was stalking Rachel. Not at all suspicious. Nope. But that was not all the evidence. Because in addition to the backpack full of kill kit supplies and this gun, they quickly located her Jeep down the road, and they searched that too. And inside, they found duct tape, zip ties, two knives, scissors, a garden trowel, a machete, and trash bags. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, so she literally had two kill kids. That is crazy. Yes, that is too, too many kill kids. You should have zero kill kids. That's true, yeah. If if you're wondering how many murder kids you should have, the answer is zero. Yes, the answer is for sure zero. But also, a garden trowel and a machete, like, what was she doing? And clearly, she's planning to dismember a body not very very well, but... I mean, shit, can you imagine? That has to be what it was, was knives and scissors. Because, like, because honestly, when I first read that, I was like, girl, you have a gun. Like, why are you? I mean, don't get me wrong. No murder should be occurring. Yeah. But, like, why would you bring all that horrific supply stuff? I thought maybe she was just messed up and was going to do gross stuff to her. But maybe that was why. Maybe she thought she was going to dismember the body or something. And that's what the trash bags are for. Oh, God. Oh, Look, you did this to me. I did this to every, I did this to all of us. I did this to all Look, of us. You showed me enough true crime and murder shows that oh, that now my brain like understands how that works. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> I'm traumatized by this. I don't know. Sorry. This isn't even the worst one we've done and it's still traumatizing. It is though. I mean like the people with the machetes need to stop. That's legit. That is very legit. But, I mean, yeah. honestly, like, there's no scenario in which someone tries to dismember a body or succe- succeeds in doing that yeah. in which it's not traumatizing. Like, or, and just hear me out, obviously no I mean, murders, but also don't dismember bodies. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why people keep... We just, when we were at Comic Palooza, we did our crime our crime thing, but this year they had more crime stuff, so as I'm referencing the convention we just presented at. And we went to one that was done by a medical examiner 
from that's local. And in his like presentation about being a medical examiner, he talked about how people don't understand how hard it is to dismember bodies and how many times that's like a big fuck up. Like it's better. He gave people a lot of tips about how to get away with murders <laughs> that I feel like maybe don't do that. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, like if you're going to try to dispose of a body, you really have to take it out in the woods. Like that's the best place to put it. Don't try to chop it up. Like it's really hard for them to find it out there. And I'm like, um, how about we don't give tips about this? But regardless, yeah, don't dismember stuff. Like that's nasty. Also, don't kill people. That's who. But yeah. Anyway, this lady's messed up. I'm sorry. Okay, so back to the kill kit. Investigators actually found evidence that she had purchased a lot of these kill kit supplies on the same day that she attacked Rachel. Oh, shit. Yeah, so she also was just being a dumbass. Yeah, legit. I mean, at least... She's making all the classic mistakes. Yeah, and what's really weird about this is that she purchased that gun, like, way in advance. Like, not, like, super far, but... You know, not the same day. But then she could have spread out all this other nasty stuff. Yeah. She's been premeditating this for a while. Yeah. And, like, obviously never commit murders. But, I mean, if you're going to buy things like a garden trowel and a machete and trash bags and zip ties, like, maybe spread it out. Yeah. Because, like, if you've been thinking about it for that long, you could you could spread out your yeah, purchases. Because I recently discovered that Aaron apparently has zip ties that he was using to, to tie up our cords. I saw you with zip ties. Like, you've known I had those. I've had those for years. I did not ever notice that before. Really? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't, like, I mean, notice zip ties. Yeah, oh, that I mean, was kind like, of my point is, like, yeah. you've apparently had them since I've known you. Yeah. Not for murder and, reasons. And I've literally <laughs> never even noticed that he had zip ties. Like, I vaguely remember, yeah. I guess, seeing them in a box or something. But, yeah. like. I mean, they're small zip ties. They're not murder zip ties. I got you. Like, you couldn't bind somebody's hands with them. They're for, like, cords. How do you know that, though? Because the, the the bottle is not big enough for that. Okay. I mean, just like objectively thinking about it, like they're not big enough for that. They're for like, uh, you know, like cables and cords and like household crap. You okay. know, tying things together that should really be, you know, together. Together, yeah. <laughs> it's like holding things together when they're trying to come apart. I got you. Yeah, they're they're not for murder reasons. Okay. Well, the point <laughs> is that I was trying to make is that you don't really notice those. Like, if someone's at Walmart buying zip ties, I mean, now I will notice. But, like, <laughs> normally no one's going to even notice. But if you have that in a shovel and some t- duct tape and some trash bags and some bleach, now we know that you're doing something wrong. That's true. It's kind of like I walked as a cashier when I was, like, 18, and someone came through my line, I swear. They had strawberries, chocolate, champagne, condoms. And, like, two other things that were obviously, like, I had to say something. I was unable to stop myself because, I mean, you can't buy all these things together and not have someone say something. Yeah. Be serious. It's obvious what your plans are. Yeah, I'm like, I know what you're doing later. (laughs) And so, in this case, it was murdered. And that is bad. I feel like we spent a lot of time on here talking about how murder's bad. And then talking about how we're talking about it. And that we know that the listeners all know that. Yeah. If the kill kit was not enough to convince you that Teresa planned to kill Rachel, investigators also found some very suspicious notes in the Jeep, along with some clothing. But we need to focus on this note, because Teresa had made a plan to kidnap and murder Rachel that she had actually written down. Oh, boy. Yeah, and later on they found practice notes at her apartment. Wow. Yeah, that she just, for some reason, did not adequately destroy Jesus. Again, I want her to get caught, but, like, I don't know, burn your practice notes? I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. So, some of the plans that she had written on these notes included steps like, quote, 
put plastic bag overhead, unquote. Quote, cuff hands and feet, unquote. And, quote, plastic over face, in parentheses, no fibers, unquote. Wow. Yeah, so just really jacked up stuff. And she had 14 total steps on how to kidnap, murder, and dispose of Rachel. And all of this was just because Rachel had dared to date Teresa's former lover, Brent. That's so messed up. I know. It's ridiculous. In the hospital, Rachel clung to life for two days. However, her wound was too serious for her to recover, and she sadly passed away in Bronson Methodist Hospital on Friday, June 26, 2015, surrounded by her family. It's so sad. Yeah. It is incredibly depressing. And she's only 25 years old and, like, literally just starting out in her life and just having a nice job and, like, having dreams and meeting a guy. And then all of this happens to her. I know. Like, she hadn't even had a chance to move out of her parents' house. I know. How awful is that? That's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, it's so sad. So terrible. With her death, though, she did donate her organs. And so she was able to save some lives. And so even her final moments on Earth, she gave of herself. That's good. It was generous to help somebody else. That's very good. Yeah. And I kind of wondered if maybe that's why they had kept her on life support. Because I know when you when you have organs to, to have, you have to stay on life support for a little longer. Yeah. So they might have known she wasn't going to make it, but then needed to keep her on life support for that. Makes sense, yeah. With Rachel's passing, authorities charged Teresa Petto with open murder felony murder, attempted unlawful imprisonment, and two counts of felony firearm use. She pleaded not guilty. Oh, good Lord. Come on. Yes. I mean, at this point, what are you doing? Additionally, she blamed mental illness for her murder. And because of this, the judge ordered a psychiatric evaluation. Now, we're not disbelieving that she might be mentally ill, because there's some questionable stuff going on over here. But, y'all, like, you know, the thing that frustrates me about this is the blaming the mental illness mm-hmm. part, right? Because yeah. it's like, okay, you have a mental illness, yeah, but that's not why you did this crime. No, you didn't think she was like a hobbit or something. Yeah. Although, why would you kill a hobbit? But you know what I mean. Legit. But I mean, like, yeah. you know, the rest of us with mental illness are not out doing violent crimes. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be putting that on the rest of us. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, there are some... some extreme exceptions where you know things happen but like most of these a lot of these people out here are just like well gosh you know i had that mental illness and i just had to plan and murder this person for multiple months and it's like no no you didn't have to do that and you didn't have to do that at all you had choices yeah a lot exactly. of them you had a lot of choices exactly but since she was blaming it they did do a psychiatric evaluation And the therapist that saw her found that she did have a mental illness, but that she was also competent to stand trial, and the mental illness is not what caused the crime. She did remain under the care, though, of this mental health professional as she progressed through her trial, just to make sure she stayed well, though. During her trial in September 2016, Teresa Petto initially tried to fight the charges. However, she decided to change her plea a few days into testimony, and there are conflicting reports about how long it was in her appeals papers it says that it was three days into the trial but there are some sources that say it was two but essentially what happened was when it came time for her to testify because her lawyer had been hyping up that they thought somehow she could explain what happened and tell some version of events that made her not look murdery 
Um, I don't know how that was going to happen because there's like the notes, all the kill kits, Dennis, who literally saw it happen. Like, I mean, come on. She was literally like right down the road because I can understand maybe if she somehow wasn't at the crime scene, they were like, it's this lady that had been stalking her. But when you're literally right by the house. Yep. And they find you walking a, a block away. I with mean, a gun. I mean, come on, y'all. I like, I don't know what you're doing here. Yeah. So on September 22nd, 2016, she was supposed to testify in her own defense. But instead, she came in and pleaded guilty but mentally ill to felony murder. And she agreed to this plea because she wanted psychiatric treatment in prison. And her lawyer concluded, based on his understanding of the situation, that being labeled mentally ill by the court would help her get the best treatment. And the judge also told her that this was true. And so in exchange for the plea, the prosecution dropped the other charges. And she was like, at least I'll get my treatment. The judge set her sentencing for October 2016. Now, as this is happening, she started to have some doubts about her plea. Because once she got into jail, she felt like she was misled because it, she thought that the only way to get treatment was to plead guilty, but mentally ill. But in fact, anyone can get treatment, but the way to get there is, is different. So her lawyer explained that by being labeled mentally ill by the court, you, you skip a whole bunch of stuff and go directly to like intensive evaluation to get start getting your treatment. Whereas if you're not labeled mentally ill, you have to start at like a whole, like a basically the base level and go through a whole bunch of more rigmarole to get treatment. So it's kind of confusing because she thinks that she was tricked into pleading guilty, but the court did not see that that way, which we'll talk about in a minute. Also, you are guilty, so I'm not really sure how they're tricking you, but okay. So they had her sentencing on October 2016, and at this hearing, Kalamazoo County Circuit Court Judge Alexander Lipsy handed down a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole And at her sentencing, Rachel's family and friends all attended to show support for Rachel. And they even wore I Stand With Rachel stickers, which is really cute. Yeah. Her family also spoke. And the main statement that I could find part of was her brother William said in part, quote, Today's the day we get justice we never should have had to seek. Today's the conclusion of a chapter we should never have had to start writing. But here we are. And we have to decide how to tell the story without the main character, unquote. Wow. I thought that was so beautiful. It is. It like, really we've is. read a lot of statements, but I felt like that was, like, one of the best ones. Yeah, it's very well written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well said. During her sentencing, Teresa Petto also made a statement. As part of that statement, she said, quote, I am very sorry. I think about them every day. I know the pain of losing a child, and I would never purposefully do that to another family, unquote. Except she did. Yes. And which, that sounds a little bit nice that she said that. She claims that now that she's, like, mentally healthier, that she can't believe she did this. But she did not really apologize and accept responsibility because after she said that, she also tried to blame the system and said that she had tried to get treatment and that nobody would help her and that it was the system's fault for failing her to treat her mental illness and that's why the murder happened. So... I mean, she, so yeah, she kind of said she was sorry, but I feel like blaming the system is not like, don't get me wrong. We're not like, yay system. I feel like we've talked about that before, that we need a better system for like mental health services. And we've like kind of brainstormed some possible helping things. 
yeah. like funding. Number one, obviously, but this I still don't think that the system is to blame for this. That's my opinion. Also, the court's opinion. Just want to throw that out there. After this plea, as I said before, she pretty much immediately tried to withdraw it. In August 2017, the judge heard her initial plea withdrawal arguments and denied it and was like, no, you're accepting the plea. Later on, though, she actually filed an appeal. And she appealed in January 2019, and she claimed that she had ineffective assistance of counsel because she thinks her lawyer misled her and was basically just trying to get her to plead out. And as part of her appeal, she also claimed she wasn't actually guilty and tried to say that the gun just fell out of her pocket during the altercation. What? Yeah, and I would like to point out two main facts. Not only did Dennis see her get it out, I could understand some people are like, well, you know, eyewitness testimony is sometimes faulty, but Rachel was shot in the back of her head behind her ear. At what, on what planet is the gun falling out of your pocket going to do that? No, no planet. I would also like to argue that if you take a gun to confront someone and you have the safety off and you have it loaded, then you're still pretty much culpable, even if somehow the gun did fall out of your pocket. Yeah. And you have two kill kits and notes planning out how you're going to murder them. Yeah. Well, Aaron, those kill kits were planted there yeah. by the system. And and, uh, and history of stalking this person. I know. And a motive. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah. Aaron's like, I'm not having any of this. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like the prosecutor's like, God damn it. Let me go bring out like the entire dump truck of evidence that I have to show you why yeah. we don't need to be messing with this. Yeah, I don't know. As yeah. like, is her mental illness making her unable to, to see evidence? Like, is that the thing? I mean, you'd think so. That feels like that could be legit. So as part of this appeal, she pointed out the arguments that I told you about her, how the lawyer told her that this was the, the best way for her to get treatment. But she also said that she believed, based on what her lawyer told her, that she might get assigned to a psych ward or to some other special ward in the prison rather than general population if she was labeled as mentally ill. However, when she got into jail, one, she learned that there's no special long-term psychiatric ward. So she might be able to go to a special ward briefly in treatment, but that's not where she, where she would be all the time. Yeah. And also, there were other prisoners getting treatment, and so she looked at it like, well, I could have just gotten treatment regardless. I was tricked. I should have just seen the trial through. I don't know on what planet she thinks that she was not going to be found guilty, but okay. I know, right? Keep in mind, though, I want to make a note here that she was getting mental health care. She just wasn't getting it, like, extra care in her opinion. Because I feel like at first it sounds like she's not getting any treatment, which would suck if she has a mental health condition. But she did get treatment. She just wanted special treatment. Yeah. Her lawyer actually testified in the appeal and said that he did believe that she would get better treatment because of what the procedures were. And the court actually did state that he was right. There's a different intake process for different types of prisoners that I was referencing earlier. And so that's essentially what she benefited from, was just having that speeded up intake process for getting her treatment. So she did benefit, she just didn't realize it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, despite her claims of being promised extra help, they were also able to go back through her plea hearing, and the judge asked her, like, a bunch of times, like, are there any other promises? Is there anything besides what I'm just saying now? And she affirmed that she was taking the plea and that this was all that she was offered. So to come back and then say her lawyer promised her stuff that she thought she would get, it's like, well, you didn't tell the judge that, so... Yeah. Because that's kind of your opportunity to be like, oh, well, my, my lawyer said I was going to get this. And they're like, that's not what's in the paper. So maybe talk about this later. Yep. 
Pedo's time in prison actually ended abruptly this year. And I couldn't figure out a better way to transition to this, and I apologize. Because on March 5th, 2022, she actually passed away at the age of 50 in the Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility. And I tried really hard, but I could not find her cause of death. So I don't know if it's COVID or if she died from something else. That's sad. I know. It is really sad. And, like, obviously, Teresa is the villain in our story here. But, I mean, she had a family, too. And based on the fact that they published kind of a warm obituary about her, I think her family seems to have stood by her. And I feel really bad for her daughters because she did have two other daughters. And at this point, they've lost both a sibling and their mom. And their mom. And, like, that's incredibly horrible because they kind of lost her twice because, like, when she went to jail, that was, you know, them losing their mom. And then she passed away. That's them losing her again. And I feel bad for them because they didn't do anything and now they're caught up in this mess. It's true. So that was really sad. And also, too, I feel really bad for Rachel's family because they lost Rachel and they obviously loved her a lot and she was a big light in their life. And now she's just gone for no reason. And just being 25, she had so much left to do. She had so many, like, experiences she never got to even have. And it's just, it's tragic that she died at all. But especially over something so petty. Legit. It's very legit. Yeah, and I just hope it brings her family comfort that she was able to donate her organs. So hopefully there's other people that are like, it's kind of a piece of her living on, you know? Yeah, legit. Yeah. So kind of a bummer for everybody involved, I guess. I don't know what happened to Brent. I feel like I need to know what happened to Brent. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm assuming he was really sad about losing Rachel. I would hope so. But I'm... I don't know. Like, I keep imagining, like, possible Brent storylines. Like, did he, like, mourn Rachel? Did he get another young girlfriend? Like, did he ever settle down? Did he just stop dating all women? (laughs) It was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, I mean, he certainly had some bad luck. Yeah, for reals. Just a sad story. Very much so. Well... I hope that you found that very thought-provoking. You know, there's actually a profile of this in Deadly Women. As you all probably know, it's not the most accurate version of this event. But if you would like to watch it, I think it's in season 11. I, th- I believe it's on Hulu. I watched it again. I had already seen that episode. I feel like they always compress the timelines in these. That's one of the things that I don't like. Deadly Women always changes some important details. Because they also leave stuff out. Like, they said that she just pleaded guilty... And they left out all the stuff about Teresa's mental illness, which is weird. It's a weird choice. Yeah. I feel like they try to do that to make her more of a villain in a way. They also seem to compress the timeline. Like, it almost feels like Rachel is, like, stealing him away. But in the real in real life, it doesn't sound like that. It also sounds like Teresa is just, like, wilding out and, like, trying to trick this guy into being in a serious relationship. But in reality, it sounds like they were together for a really long time. Because, like, they initially started hooking up in, like, 2007, and the murder was in 2015. Yeah. And the baby had been passed away for, like, four years whenever Rachel was murdered. And so, you know, it's kind of a long... It's a long timeline. Yeah, it's a, yeah. T- it's a long timeline. So, anyway, just keep that in mind, I guess, when you're watching it, that it is a little bit compressed. Yeah. All right. Well, if you would like more Bad Axe, go to our Patreon. It's at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. I got, I'm getting new stickers. Yay. I ordered us new stickers. Also, if you're a patron, I'm going to try to message you about this. If you've already received stickers, but you would like to receive the new stickers, let me know because I will send them to you. 
because I don't think people should be penalized for like being a longer time patron. So definitely I will send you these new stickers if you would like them. Also, a few of our longtime patrons have never received stickers. So if that's you, please send me your address still if you feel comfortable because I would still love to send you some stickers. Um, there's going to be, I think, four now. That's right. Yeah, there's going to be four stickers. One of the new stickers says True Crime Expert because I thought that would be fun. And I almost got one that said there has been an oopsie, but I thought people wouldn't like that one as much because maybe not everyone knows what that is. But let me know if you'd like there has been an oopsie. Our listeners will know what that means. Yeah, because I just say that all the time. Like, in my real life even, I'll be like, there has been an oopsie. So I almost got that. I also made a meme one that has kind of like 70s vibes. And it stars one of our, our new kittens that we recently adopted. So look forward to the kitty sticker. That's right. Cats all the way. And then one of the old stickers that we'll be sending out is says, no crime, no body. It's like a reverse. And that's because that's our saying of don't, don't kill people. And then you have to clean up a crime scene. That's right. Like we're just trying to help you make timely decisions. Yeah. We're just trying to help you have a nice life. Yeah. Because cleaning up a body is apparently very hard. We yeah, don't we, we don't we don't know from first hand experience, but yeah. we have a lot of second hand experience of reading about this. Of, of of finding out how hard it must yeah, be. Yeah, so you should just so, not Yeah, don't we should do a PSA of like <laughs> disposing of a body is very difficult and then have like the, the person digging the hole and they're like, Oh, this is so much work. And it's like, right. You might think, I'll cut up the body, but that's hard, too. We don't want to show that. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That's not part of it. We'll get, when we, we'll, we can get, like, a Halloween can, chainsaw, you know? We'll show a clip of Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I'm sure that's cheating. Maybe we get a haunted house, you know? We can just, like, take a picture. I don't know. We'll throw it in there. Yeah. And be like, solving all of your problems, just don't kill. It's like, every day around America or the world... People don't kill each other. <laughs> that could be you. We're just throwing that out there. <laughs> Solutions. Are you thinking about murder? Maybe don't. <laughs> you could use that time for other things like petting cats, eating ice cream, reading a book, listening to music. <laughs> listening to this podcast. Listening to our podcast. Just don't kill. <laughs> I know, right? Like, no crime, no body. Brought to you by Bad Axe Podcast. Brought to you by Bad Axe Podcast. I feel like we need to focus group this. <laughs> I feel like this one needs some work, but I mean, it's I, a fun idea. It's very doable. Very doable. You know what's not doable? <laughs> Cutting up a body? Yes. Don't do it. <laughs> don't kill people. Yeah. All right. So you can also email us at badaxpod at gmail.com. That would be super cool. And you can visit us on social media where I sometimes post, but it will eventually post consistently. At Bad Axe Pod on everywhere, including TikTok. I personally love my Jack the Ripper video. And for those of you who have not watched it, I know I keep talking about it. It's not serious. It's not about actual solving the case. It's the most ridiculous theories that people have put forward. And my favorite one is that somebody had a seance and said they found the killer. And I, it's just, just wild. And, and, it and like it got traction. Like that's the craziest part. Like if we had a seance and we're like, hey, we've solved like something really serious like John Bonet. I don't mean that in a joking way. Like if we literally had a seance, nobody would listen to us. Like everyone would be like, oh my God, you weirdos. That is wrong. You should not talk about that. You're being offensive. I mean, they should anyway. Yeah. But people were like listening to this as maybe an option, which is crazy. And I love that. Yep. So anyway, watch my Jack the Ripper video. Aaron, will you tell them about the podcast? 
not the podcast, the website. Yes. We I have, need a nap. We have a wonderful website. It's badaxpod.com. Go check it out. You'll really like it. You will. All right. We are going to let you go, mostly because our cats are being very weird in the Airbnb right now. That's why we are in an Airbnb, because we had to be with the cats, too. That's right. And they all seem to have seen something that is hopefully not a murderer or a ghost. So we'll report back. Thank you for listening, and bye-bye. Bye.